bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Yes, it's Valentine's Day here at Dark Night of the Podcast. And we were this close to reviewing My Bloody Valentine. But we decided, you know what? Fuck the rules. Let's go for something completely out of left field. And so today we're going to be talking about Lamberto Baba's demons, aren't we, Troy? We are. I mean, what a better Valentine gift than fucking demons. Fuck the cliche of doing my bloody Valentine on Valentine's Day. We are doing demons. Um, yes. Because honestly, what, what can you say about my bloody Valentine that really hasn't been said before? It is a great film. Um, I love my bloody Valentine. One of the best slashers of the eighties. I got to work with the lovely Elaine Udi um, from my bloody Valentine. So I, I hold that film dear to my heart, but it's amazing. You know, I don't have a Valentine. So fuck Valentine's day. We're going to do demons. Well, and what my goal is here at dark night of the podcast is to use this episode to find a Valentine for Troy. So to all you handsome, single, eligible gays out there, please like our podcast, (laughs) like our episode, and like our daddy, Troy. (laughs) Yes, Troy is single, and he is ready to fucking mingle, aren't you, Troy? Oh, here we go. Yes. (laughs) We're going to find the cream of the crop for you. Seriously, (laughs) though. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Uh, demons so we went from the (laughs) so we went from the final girls to demons and what what a blast we had with the final girls Um, i loved it i really enjoyed that episode so if you haven't listened to that episode go listen to it listen to all the episodes if you haven't listened to any of them but they're only getting better they're only getting better so what's going on with you anything new in this past week since we recorded last oh God, you know, um, because it's Valentine's Day, you know, I've just been trying to spend some quality time with my lovely boyfriend, Gustavo. Um, it was also our, our six-month anniversary. That's a big deal, right? <laughs> I don't know these things. I don't date that often. But so I figured we'd, you know, go to a sip and paint to celebrate these two <laughs> major events. <laughs> no, uh, so uh, we're going to a sip and paint tomorrow. Not really doing anything on the film front this week. I'm trying to trying to defuse a little bit. I've had a lot with um, the last few weeks of like everything moving forward with the distribution. So I took a step back this week. Um, I have seen some footage from another film I worked on, um, which I'll be announcing on here sooner or later. But I was pleasantly surprised with it. So you know what? Things are good. Things are pretty good. How about for you? You know what? 
nothing on the film front. Well, a little, a little bit, but I'll, I'll get into that at another date. But um, just trying to stay warm or here in Houston, you know, we have a cold front that is very unusual for Houston. Um, I did not move to Houston for this weather, but <laughs> because it is cold and they already, we're supposed to have like snow tomorrow and Monday and like, it's supposed to get down to 20 degrees. Oh, and wow. Like, no, I, if I wanted this, I'd be back in Iowa and they already canceled school. You know, they already canceled. Well, they didn't cancel it, but they, Monday and Tuesday, they already made us go virtual. So um, oh yeah, so we're supposed to get some, some interesting weather down here. So that is a big deal for you guys. Whereas with here in Cleveland, that's all I have for months and no sunlight. Well, I'm from Iowa. I'm used to, I, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. really used to the cold, but ju- just like if you're away from the cold for a while, it really does get to you. Like what is the average temperature around this time of year for you? Oh my gosh. Like last weekend we were in shorts, t-shirts. I mean, Ugh. yeah. I mean. Oh, <laughs> jealousy. I mean, it, getting down to like 40 is really rare here. And now we're supposed to get down to like 20. So, <sighs> yeah. Wild. 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 But not as wild as demons. I was just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, have, we, we, we always find little fun ways to transition into the films. But yes, not as wild as demons. Yeah. What a flick, man. What a flick. I was happy to revisit it. You know, it, it's this is one of those movies like, you know, when you talk about some of these films and they're just like always coming up on my feed, images and pictures and stills of a lot of the, the movies that we've talked about because they're, they often come up in conversation in a lot of these Facebook groups and forums and uh, on social media. And so like, you got, you, you kind of maintain their presence in your mind. Whereas with Demons... It's one of those movies that I feel does not get as much love as it should. And so because of that, like I often in my mind underestimate the quality of this film. And then I watch it and I'm like, uh, this movie's fucking great. And I can't believe I forgot how great it is. And like, even like in the sense of how well the film is shot, it's actually like quite a beautiful movie. It's shot really well on par with a lot of these other Films coming out of, of uh, uh, the era, you know, Italian horror, they were all beautiful, but like the lighting in this film and um, the colors and it's just the, the effects, which we will talk about. Um, I often, I think, dial it down a few notches just because it's, for some reason, it's one of those movies that kind of like goes under the radar, but then you bring it up and everyone's like, oh, I love that movie. I love it. I wonder why, like, it doesn't have more of a presence just in cinema history, um, as one of those more iconic films, you know? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I'm i thinking perhaps it's because it came out during the height of the slasher film craze, and it's not a slasher film per se, so it got overshadowed by a lot of the stuff that was coming out at the time. Like, if you think about this, this is from 1985. So this is right during the, right dab in the middle of the 80s slasher craze when you had the Friday the 13th and all the sequels, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, mm-hmm. which was, you know, had a supernatural twist to it. Um, so I'm wondering if it just, perhaps it's just, it just got overshadowed by a lot of the American um, slasher films that were coming out at the time, because this is a, obviously this is an American film. It's an Italian film. Um, yeah. So I, I guess that would be my only, um, maybe my only explanation for that. 
Yeah, I, you're. I mean, you're right. It's not a slasher, but for me, I suppose for myself, it. it, it I mean, there's a body count, but it, for me, it. I. I almost feel that's why I appreciate it more is because it's not following the same exact structure that these slashers followed. You know. Yeah. Um. So I, I feel for me, I appreciate that much more because there's, you know, each slasher, you can kind of like follow like the blueprint of how they work for the most part. Whereas with this movie, it does its own thing and it has its own visuals. And because of that, there's not a lot of other movies to compare it to, um, at least from that era, you know, uh, uh, especially like their style of demons and everything with the glowing eyes. Like, obviously I would say maybe that had, uh, there was influence with uh, like a night of the demons, you know, kind of effects and makeup and everything. But other than that, there's really just not a lot of demonic horror from this era. And so it does stand out to me. I do appreciate it. And after rewatching it recently, I appreciate that much more. Uh, so I'm excited to discuss it. And, um, and do you have anything else to throw in before we kind of dive into the structure of the film? No, I'm ready to, to dive right into this. Okay, let's do it. I think you're right. When you, you don't hear it mentioned a lot, but if you bring it up, people are like, Oh my God, I love that fucking movie. Um, yeah, and it's yeah. So we're we're gonna let's let's dive right in. Yeah, yeah. So we open up, we go right into the credits, and right off the bat, you know what era? Yeah, we're in. Yeah, uh, these are some explosively eighties credits. <laughs> they are. We got pink hair. We've got uh, uh, very bold fashion choices. We've got heavy eyeliner. Like, it's just a lot. And we're in the subway with, you're getting kind of a feel for the punk scene of that era, which it does play somewhat of a theme throughout the core of the film. Not a strong one, but you're getting some of those visuals of like the punk era in the subway. And um, you're following the character of Cheryl, who is like the female protagonist, I suppose, of the film. Um, or like the most you get for a female protagonist. Uh, she's played by a Natasha Hovey, who I'm really, I'm not really familiar with anybody in this movie, to be honest, I'm going to be honest, but it, um, that kind of makes it refreshing. But one thing about Cheryl is she is one of the characters throughout the course of this film who is speaking English consistently. And that there are times that she's dubbed, but there are times that it's her own voice. But watching the English cut of this film, um, you know, it becomes pretty clear that this is a popular technique that they used in that era of uh, having actors of both American English and then Italian speaking actors as well. And they would have them act together and they would have them just speak in their, um, like their natural language. And then they would dub over the other characters as needed, you know, for whichever cut it was. And um, for because of that, some of the acting does come across wooden at times, not all of it, but there are times where you hear some of this dialogue and it is very like dialogue that you're listening to, you know, like it is pretty wooden, um, especially between some of the, the friends. That's a common characteristic of these Italian films though. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you will never, I, I don't think you will ever hear anybody praise like an Argento film for the acting. Um, it's that's I think the acting in, in a, these Italian films are is very secondary, probably lower than secondary um, to like the visuals and the effects. Um, so you don't really watch these films for the acting, obviously. But 
Yeah, so you get introduced to Cheryl, and what kills me about this opening scene is she's on the subway. Okay, it's broad daylight, and you are you get the kind of that wild rock score that permeates throughout the whole film. But um, and you're getting like flashes of all these different people that are on the subway. You get like an old couple. You get all the punks. You get like homeless people, and it's just a wide variety of people. And this girl, like this Cheryl character, looks absolutely fucking terrified. And I'm like, what are you so afraid of? You're on the subway in broad daylight. And she like keeps giving like it keeps intercutting with like an old couple. And then it'll flash to her and she looks like she's fucking scared, scared as hell. I'm like, what are you scared about? You're on a sub. Have you not ridden the subway before? Well, she sees in the glass and the reflection. She sees that as they go through the tunnel, you see the reflection of that metal mass. Yeah, but she's she looks scared before that. But that ju- that just yeah. I mean, she's very fawn eyed in general at all times throughout the course of this film. But yeah, then the, that mask really sends her over the edge. <laughs> yeah, and so the train stops. She gets off, and I love. I mean, it's just these little touches that you just got to appreciate because all of a sudden. You know, the, the subway station when she got on was completely packed. Mm-hmm. Then she gets off and there's like nobody. <laughs> she's by herself. It's this huge subway station and she's literally the only person in there. <laughs> yeah. And um, so she's like, you know, walking through the subway and she hears somebody coming up behind her and she's like, Ooh, who is it? And um, it turns out it's the dude with the silver mask. And he is there and he, all he wants to do is give her a ticket to a movie premiere. But I wouldn't accept anything from that man in that mask. Like, they do a damn good job of making him seem like the least approachable individual possible. He's wearing a metal mask, which appears to be burned to his face because his skin looks very off as though he has some kind of scourge all over it so there that is already off-putting and then he's wearing an outfit that makes it look like he would be part of some kind of sacrifice he looks very goth and very um does does not have a very warm demeanor he's very cold but he comes up and without saying a word he gives her that damn ticket which says nothing about what it is and then she as far as being as scared as she was this entire time walks right up to him she's like could I please have another ticket? My friend's coming. Uh, and he, again, very unpleasant, gives her another ticket. But that man is off-putting. Yeah, I was just going to say, for as scared as she, she she was, she has no problem going back, running, chasing him back down and getting another ticket for her friend, which, how did she even know her friend would agree to go? But whatever. Why did she agree to go? <laughs> I don't, there's, what about that seemed reliable? Okay, Cheryl, you're making assumptions about your friend Kathy. She might not want to go to your damn movie. But um Don't get me started on Kathy. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about Kathy. That what a wet blanket she is. Yes. Okay. Um so oh, and then she's like, Oh, are you dressed that way for the movie premiere? And the guy just like looks at her and walks away. <laughs> oh, yeah. He very unpleasant. I wouldn't find anything welcoming or warm about him in a conversation. And I would absolutely not consider going to an event that he forced upon me in that ticket. No. And it's, but he's, but then, okay. So then he goes out and he's just like handing all these tickets out to people and they are gladly accepting. Like you see all these people just running up to get these tickets. I'm like, this dude is a terrifying and you people are just taking whatever he's given. Okay. Well now we know, but, uh, oh yeah. So then Cheryl goes out and, we are introduced to Kathy, her friend, um, and they're supposed to be going to class, but 
you know, Cheryl's all excited because she got this ticket to the Metropole. Which is now top priority for Cheryl. And she's like, let's cut class and go to the Metropole. And Kathy's like, our teacher's going to be pissed. Sensible, Kathy. You know what? I'm second guessing my comment on Kathy because at least she was trying to be sensible. Okay, so they cut class to go to the Metropole. So we get a beautiful shot of this huge gothic looking theater. Um, and it's it's gorgeous. Yeah. It's creepy, but it's a beautiful old theater. I would go to it. I mean, I would. Oh, it's such a cool theater. Yeah, I, w- I don't know if I would take a ticket from the guy to go to it, but I would go to this. Right. All right. I would be pleasantly surprised. I will say this. After accepting that ticket from that man and then walking into that theater and seeing that's what I'm getting for this free ticket, I would say, oh, I've made the right choice. Yeah. Because it's quite the presentation. And in the 80s, I'm sure it was even more effective with those large lit beams coming out of the floor, a motorcycle with a man's with a piece of chain mail on it, holding that mask, which comes into play, that metallic mask, but it's really quite a presentation. And it comes with that woman in green. The woman, I was just going to say, the woman in green, <laughs> before anybody comes to the theater, we get the shot of this woman in green. What is she? Is she I, I didn't know what she was. Was she? She's massaging her thigh. Okay? Motioning her thigh. <laughs> I was I had to rewind. Is, is she fingering herself or what is she doing she's the usherette and i'm guessing maybe that's her uniform i mean i suppose she's absolutely beautiful yes but she has it you just get this shot of her standing in front of a mirror her dress is pulled up and she's like rubbing her hand up her thigh and i was like okay is she like i said is she masturbating is she peeing what is she doing and then it just cuts to this motorcycle you know that's in the middle of the, the the lobby of this theater and uh, that's not going to be involved later in the movie in any way whatsoever. God, no. But so and then all of the people will come into this theater and you get introduced to all of these wonderful three-dimensional characters. Yeah. Though I will say, and I completely forgot this, I do like like the way they handle it going through the crowd as they walk up to the usherette. Like you hear this like light banter between like all these little groups of people. And while they're definitely paper thin characters, um, at least they like did it in this cool way where you kind of hear each one kind of establishing like their personalities and like how they interact. Cause you have like that, like older couple who like clearly don't get along very well. Cause they're like bitching to each other. And you've got that obnoxious younger couple who I can't stand. Oh, Hannah and her boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. I have his name somewhere. I'm shocked. You can't remember his name. There's so much to remember. I know. I know Hannah because he screams it throughout the fucking movie. Hannah, Hannah, where's Hannah? I lost Hannah. Shut the fuck up, will you? Oh, and she's a real competent individual, too. The gals in this movie, let me just say, like, there is literally one point in the film where a character starts, like, one of the girls starts screaming, and then they all just start screaming for no real reason. Like, they are the weakest batch of women I've ever seen in a film. And it's... I guess it screams the era. Like, the men in this are like, men, especially Tony. But um, the women in this are just, like, incompetent. It's it's kind of unfortunate, but it's still extremely enjoyable. Okay, so you get, um, yeah, you get introduced to all of these different, like, different characters. So you get the blind guy with his daughter, I guess it is. It's it is It's his daughter, right? I'm assuming. I thought it was maybe his wife, which is what's supposed to be making it so much more inappropriate what happens. I thought it was his daughter. Liz. It's Liz and Vern. Verner? Vernon? Vernon, I think. And then you get, like, the Tony, the pimp. With his two whores, 
who I, he generously has brought to the movies with him. Rosemary and, and whore number two. <laughs> I think I even think that's how she's credited. Whore number two. Are you serious? <laughs> I'm not. I'm, Probably. <laughs> uh, I don't think her name is ever said. <laughs> but Tony, like, I'm not a, a pimp nor a whore. But um, is that a common? Generally, I feel that it's not common to have that kind of relationship between a pimp and his working women uh, in general. And that really confused me. Unless maybe he was either treating <laughs> treating them to a night out or maybe he had actually picked them up. But that kind of baffled me um, that the three of them would be just hanging out at the movies. But you know what? I also kind of like it. They bring a flair to the movie that it kind of needed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and then you get, okay, so Liz, not Liz, um, the two, Kathy and Cheryl are trying to get uh, soda out of the soda machine. And this is when we get introduced to the two guys, uh, George, and what is the other one's name? I also don't remember his name. Again, uh, that's that's a kind of impression that these characters tend to leave with you other than like the real focal ones like the secondary tier characters are just kind of disposable um but george's friend who is very pretty and um at one point becomes very very prominent in the movie i just don't really hear his name ever yeah i have in my notes i just have the other guy (laughs) that's what i wrote him um and that's what you take away from these people. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember what his name is. Okay. Hey, whatever. I mean, we don't need to know his name, I guess. He is very pretty. And so is George. George is very pretty. Um, they look like they, they look like they belong in an 80s gay porn together. Absolutely. I'd watch it. I would. Yeah. Hella. I'd watch it too. Um, okay. So they go and help Liz and um, Kathy get the, the soda and right away, I'm wondering, is, is, uh, is Kathy a lesbian? Because she seems very pissed off that these two hot guys are trying to. Well, and that's why I say Kathy's a bit of a pill. Okay. She never really seems to be happy with anything um, before and after the demon invasion. Even prior to shit going awry, she's just moping. She's not glad. She doesn't like horror movies. She doesn't want to be at the movie theater. She doesn't want to skip class. She's that friend, that friend that you force to join in an event or some kind of fun, you know, something, and then you immediately regret bringing. That's Kathy. And I feel bad for this guy who's really trying to get with her because, yeah, either she dislikes you, she's a lesbian, or she's just going to bitch the whole night. So they go into the theater and, like, they sit down and the two guys come and, and sit next to him. And Kathy is absolutely, like, just looks pissed. Just pissed. I'm like, what is your problem? You're not even that attractive and you have these hot guys sitting next to you and you look absolutely pissed off about it. So I'm wondering if it was like yeah. some lesbian undertone that she maybe had a like crush on Cheryl. Oh, I hope so. That would add, that would add so much more to this than what we get. Um, I don't mind the character of Cheryl though at this point though. I will say like, I even noted, even though her character is very thin, like she's likable she's just bland yeah. but she um immediately takes to george and they have a chemistry right off the bat and so he sits next to her and they have some light chit chat and you kind of want to see them end up you know as an item at the end of this yeah yeah so this is where we get the whole 
film within a film, which is very reminiscent of the final girls, which we did last week. And the blob. <laughs> yeah, which was your theme, you know, a film. But we get this whole film within a film. So these people came to the movie theater based off uh, a, a weird guy giving them a, a ticket. They had no idea what the film playing was. Um, and now we are seeing what it is. And it is a horror film, um, which focuses on two couples who go to like a cemetery and there's one of them is searching for Nostradamus. Yeah. It's so weird. And like, I immediately question, like, does Nostradamus even have like a history of like demonic evil? Like there's no, there's nothing in his lure. Cause I look, I was looking it up and I couldn't find anything associated with this. So it's very strange, but I, the one girl in this, in this movie within, which in the movie within a movie, which I, genuinely want to see this film as well i will say this because it is absurd <laughs> yeah 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 oh well we forgot we forgot one one important part we have to backtrack when we're out in the lobby you get the character of rosemary who tries on that the mask that's out oh, in the, lobby. Yeah. the mask which ties into the movie but that they're watching she cuts her face on the mask and um the the weird usherette girl the, with the long red hair it's kind of odd because the way it's presented, it looks like she's kind of like in on what happens, but yeah. then it doesn't, but then it doesn't make sense at the end. But um, anyway, so, okay. So Rosemary cuts her face on the mask and then we we're in the, we're in the theater watching the movie and the same thing happens in the movie. They find they're, they're digging, they're digging in a tomb and they find a mask and yeah, one of the characters tries it on and cuts his cheek and it's bleeding and um, Rosemary realizes that her cheek is bleeding as well. So she goes, she gets up and goes into the bathroom. Um, and yeah. I mean, this is at the point where I would say this sequence with Rosemary and Rosemary's what Rosemary becomes after this, if anything about this film, I would describe as iconic, it would be that visual. And one thing I really want to acknowledge about this whole sequence in general, because it's great because Rosemary effectively turns into a demon after her cheek grows to the size of this massive pus bubble and explodes. And it's just disgusting. And it's really well done. Um, but what we're, we're now venturing into is the territory in which Rosemary becomes the, the first victim and eventually the first demon within the film demons. And Rosemary is an African-American actress or, I don't want to say African-American. She's, I'm sorry. She's an Italian, but she's a black actress who um, is, is honestly the most uh, iconic visual from this film. And I can't think of a lot of monsters or killers or creatures or anything from earlier horror films of this era that have a notable black villain I, I i can't think of anyone that stands out in my mind other than Candyman, which is by that point it was like 1989 90 um that had like you know a notable black uh focal villain i guess i would call her focal because she's the one you see the most and she's the one that sets everything off and and she's so effective she's so effective she is, and she's she actually you are she actually is American. If you she look is. at her IMDb, she is yeah she was born in Portland. Gotcha. Okay, um, good, good. Yeah, it's really interesting that yeah she is, and she's yeah you're right. She's the most iconic visual from the film. Um, 
And it's really cool to see to see that because you're right. You don't. This was the '80s. You didn't see a lot of um, black actors or actresses getting to be as prominent in a film as she is. Yeah, unless it's like black exploitation, which this is not. She just is a black character that becomes the first villain. But like, she's also like she's got braids and she's very much like a strong black woman. She's beautiful and and she becomes something terrifying. She's like the Angela equivalent of a night of the demons kind of figure, you know? And I love that. I honestly love it. She's great. She's so effective. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even you get like Tony, like the pimp. I mean, he's a black actor who's very strong in this film and kind of takes charge from, from right away. I mean, he makes the best choices. Yeah. Right from the beginning. He's like, I I'm in charge. I got this. We're, we're going to, we're going to deal with this. But, um, so basically what happens is what is happening on film starts to like, happen in real life okay so on screen when the guy cuts his face he turns into this demon and he starts like killing his friends and it's actually it's pretty brutal like the film within the film is really brutal like it's i want to see this film because he's like stabbing people to death and it's like showing the knife go in multiple times and uh it's really moody and really effective um but the other hooker whatever you want to call her whore number two, she goes to look for Rosemary in the bathroom. And this is when like she finds Rosemary in a stall and when Rosemary turns around, she's like full fledged demon. Um, and she like rips this girl's throat. Such a good sequence. Yeah. 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 So this other, this, the other whore number two is like runs out of the bathroom with her throat, like just gaping open and is trying to get back into the theater to get help. And she, Rosemary's chasing her and like, just like this actress's movements as the demon. Mm -hmm. So effective. Like, yeah, the whole sequence of her finding her in the stall, the the way they do it with like the hand going up on the wall and you know, you see the claw and you're like, Oh fuck. Cause it's her. You just see the back of her head and you see her braids. You know, it's her. She's a very like specific hairstyle, but you see, then you see the claw and then she turns and does this amazing reveal. And um, yeah, the way she's like hunched over with her hands up, um, the lighting that they throw on her when they're running through the hallways too. It's like this red lighting with like hints of purples. It's so dramatic. It's very effective. Um, I love this whole build up to what's about to happen with horror number two. Horror number two makes it to the theater, but she's, <laughs> I feel so bad. We're calling this poor girl horror number two. She has a name. I'm sure she has a name, but <laughs> it just shows you how thin these characters are. <laughs> Poor unfortunate girl number two goes behind. She's behind the screen and like her throat, like just like all of a sudden squirts out this green pus. And right as on this, right as people are watching on the screen, this one of the characters like getting stabbed through a tent, which is a really cool scene. This girl breaks through the screen and like falls onto the stage and everyone's like, Oh no, what the hell? And we get this really cool demon transformation scene where this girl full-fledged like turns into a demon um and it i would dare say it's my favorite scene in the film yeah i mean it's very it reminds me so i mean not to the extent but it reminds me of like the um transformation of like in like american werewolf in london it's shot kind of similar not that not that extensive with the makeup effects, but it's shot very similar where we're getting like just like flashes, like there's a flash of her hand on the ground and all of a sudden you see like her fingers growing and like nails coming out. And then you get that close up of her mouth with like the bangs pushing, like coming out of her teeth and like her teeth falling out. 
Oh my god! And like the tongue, like the like the like the long tongue coming out. Yeah, this scene, this whole sequence is pretty chilling, and it really holds up. Um, there's aspects of it that slightly remind me of um, City of the Living Dead. The scene in the car um, with um, the intent—that City of the Living Dead, right? Where the intestines come out of the girl's mouth after she sees the priest, and then it's like it cuts to like what you. I mean, there's a sequence here where it's pretty clear. It's it's. A puppet but it's a well-done puppet where the jaw is like lowering and opening like in a really unnatural way and it just you could tell a lot of work went into this it's super impressive um and i'll also see the actress like because it does cut <clears throat> it's predominantly the actress doing all of this um but like there's a shot of her looking up and her eyes have changed and she starts to drip that green foam out of her mouth and they use this really like bright green slime for the demons of what comes out of their mouth and it's like it's just so of the era but it, it's so striking on camera and it's just the whole thing is great her acting is phenomenal in this sequence it's terrifying and everyone starts to understandably lose their shit oh and in the meantime we we forgot to mention that poor blind vernon is um watching a movie with liz who either his daughter or his wife, who knows, but she's off in the, she's off somewhere making out with this guy. So that scene is so off putting. I, and I use the term off putting a lot, but this movie does have some weird moments. This poor blind guy, he's trying to watch the movie and like Liz is off, like literally like getting ready to fuck some other dude, like in the back of the theater. And he's like, Liz, Liz, I need you. I can't see. Help me. <laughs> Finally, she's like, Oh, he's, he's calling my name. I better go back. And that man will not let her go. That man's like, we're getting, we're getting it done up here in this this secluded area within the movie theater. Um, and I will say that the blind gentleman is very difficult. I mean, what you're allowed to be being somebody who is blind, but more so than he needs to be. What if she just went off to take a shit? You know, like give the woman a little bit of space. No wonder she, if is your she's your wife, is wanting to cheat on you because this relationship is not healthy. Uh, he's very dependent on her, but I mean, he's allowed to be, he is blind, but then don't go sit up in the goddamn balcony. Yeah. Right. Stay on the floor level. That's not safe. Yeah. He, well, he expects her to like narrate the whole damn film for him. What's going on? Liz? Are they scared? Are you scared? Yes. Like it's, it's again, very strange dialogue, but um, yeah. So, and while those two are going to town up in the, um, the, the hidden area behind the curtains, Rosemary, comes out of fucking nowhere and um, proceeds to take a piece of rope and choke them with it um, in a very awkward way. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, is this killing these people? You're like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really get that. But apparently they, they die because, yeah, because Liz falls on the floor and all of a sudden her face is like ripped apart, even though that's the demon didn't really do anything with her face, just strangled her. Um, because we get the scene where poor Vernon like is wandering around the theater, blind as a bat, feeling around. He just stumbles upon Liz. How does he know it's her is what I want to know. Dude, you're blind. You're just touching a body. He's like, Liz, Liz, it's you. <laughs> but well, I mean, like, I would assume if she had disappeared, I would just, I guess, jump to that conclusion being blind. Um, but uh, I will say what happens next is very cruel and, and unusual because this guy, he's a, he's a blind gentleman and Rosemary comes out of fucking nowhere and proceeds to gouge his eyes out 
with her thumbs. Oh my god, and it's so gross. It's like goo shooting out of his face and Oh my god, it's something that I would assume would clearly kill somebody. Maybe not. We'll find out later in the film. But uh so <laughs> and they hear his screams as they're like noticing what's happening with horror number two, uh, the demonic transformation. They also hear the screams of what's going on in the top balcony. And Tony assumes that there is a crazy man in the theater. And Tony, being sensible, says, we need to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Well, and as they go, though, the poor, the the new demon, girl number two, like rips that dude's throat open, the, that really horrible husband, the husband that's like been an asshole the entire time finally gets killed because there are scenes with him watching the movie with his wife. And she's like, Oh my God, I'm going to be scared all night. He's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> He's like, so it's a clearly an abusive relationship. It's clearly abusive, but that man, yeah, I'm happy he died. Um, I called him angry elder. Cause again, I couldn't find his name. Um, no, nor do we need one because he's very disposable. Um, but so, so mean to his wife. She's like, I'm, I'm going to be scared. But she's still very devoted to him, which is also the sign of an abusive relationship. Let's just say that. Um, and she is very concerned about his well-being uh, after the fact. But so everybody takes off running and they run to the front doors of the lobby and they are trying to get out. And they start to realize that the doors are actually like bolted. Like they're not real. Like they rip them off. And there, uh, there's like a, a wall They've on been, the other side. I want to know how that happened. <laughs> and this was all very strategically planned. Um, I, I'm very confused about <laughs> some of the twisted turns that happen in this movie, but it's effective. So I'm not really going to complain. I guess maybe everyone came in through a different entrance because there is that like downstairs and uh, part of, like it's, I don't know. It's really confusing. Yeah, well, because they—they're all yeah, they're cemented in all of a sudden. Like, yeah, they're literally they tear the doors off, and there's like this wall of cement that is blocking them in that obviously wasn't there 20 minutes ago when they got to the theater. <laughs> so who who came and cemented the whole theater within 20 minutes? And how did the cement dry so fast? And how did the cement dry? And how did we know this? Here the application of the cement on the other side of the door—it's just very confusing. Um, and the, they acknowledge this a little bit but not as much as i think they should have uh the 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 uh woman in green yeah i would have said ma'am you work here what the fuck is this nonsense uh and they do for a second but then they automatically just <laughs> like disregard it uh because uh tony says we've got to find the emergency exits yeah well that's my thing is like at the beginning of the film you you get every indication just based on like her facial expressions and stuff, but she's in on this. But all of a sudden when this happens, she's like freaking out and pretending like yeah. she has no idea what's going on. So I'm kind of like, how does that work? Like she obviously had to be part of this, but now she doesn't really know what was happening. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I, I mean like they have shots earlier in the film where like she sees like for example when rosemary puts the mask on and gets scratched it cuts over to her and she's like mm, yes yes it's going to plan like she's like smirking and then when she's walking through the theater at one point she keeps like shining her light on rosemary and smirking like yes yes she's becoming one of them but um i don't know maybe things like went awry i don't know if maybe this is not how things were supposed to go 
I'm confused. But she seems to be very much not part of the situation now, and she's just another random scared individual. So um, they all go running to find the emergency exits, and that woman in that striking blue shoulder-padded outfit ensemble, um, she goes running into a random, like, storage room. Yes. I had, yeah, I was going to say this stupid... Stupid lady runs. You know, Tony's taking charge with his very masculine voice. Uh, and a stupid lady wanders into another room and immediately has her scalp ripped off. Immediately in a really fucking effective sequence that um, is pretty well done. But I really like like that she's like looking around the room and then she notices that everybody has started running back the opposite direction. And so she goes to like check what's happening. And all of a sudden, Rosemary just like appears in the doorway and like looks over and she's like, ah! it's just like it's it's really uh well executed i feel and um the scalping is a really good effect but yeah so that random woman who we've never seen before does die um and i did note also that tony is like kind of hot i don't know if you feel me on this but like tony's kind of sexy maybe it's because he's so dominant and he's so like take charge and maybe it's because he has that like sassy mustache that makes him look like he's in a gay porn but um i find tony kind of sexy that's just my personal opinion yeah yeah i think it's i think it mainly has to do with this character being so dominant and just like take charge um because yeah you you yeah yeah i get you (laughs) (laughs) oh another thing i want to really quickly acknowledge just because i remembered about the demon transformations because now we've seen a few demons um the first two demons that we see transform are women. And one thing that I find really stand out about these demons is the voice that they use. And during like the second horror number two, during her transformation sequence, like there is a, a, a man's voice, like, uh, uh, like making like deep guttural groans. And like, it's very effective. It's the same kind of like deep, masculine voice for all of the demons and it's just really um really creepy especially when it's coming out of a woman uh but yeah that's just one one other thing i noticed about like the overall structure of these demons that works for me uh kathy is the one that first mentions that it's the that it has to be the movie uh like the only the only smart thing she says in the entire film is that it's the movie it has to be the movie so they get uh, and Tony actually agrees with her, so they're like, "Okay, we need to go. We need to stop the movie." So they get up to the projection room, and there's they find out that like nobody is up there running this; it's running automatically. So they start to smash the machines to stop the movie. Um, and in the meantime, you get Hannah crawling on the floor for some reason. <laughs> I don't know how she got there. Uh, but it just cuts to Hannah crawling on the floor and Tommy's running around. Hannah, Hannah, I lost my girl. Where's Hannah? And she's like crawling on the floor. Okay. There we go. And why won't she, why not? And why doesn't she answer him? Like she clearly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. uh, I, yeah, she's, she's very much like out of all the characters in this film, Hannah is the least competent. Um, And that says a lot. Uh, because there are some characters that make some very bad choices in this movie. So overall, I will see, say, like, for the, um, at least for, like, the first half after the attack, um, and mostly because Tony's the one leading it, there's a series of good choices made. Like, instantly, 
everybody's like, let's get the fuck out of here. Then when they realize shit's going down, they're like, uh, let's turn off the fucking movie. Like they're pretty proactive. And so they run up there and they start destroying the movie. And you do, that's when you notice that Hannah's down below. Um, and as she's crawling, uh, they're starting to uh, rip the, the film. And so you actually hear the sound of the film, like, like getting all wrecked and you see the screen going all crazy. It's kind of effective. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, and then this, okay, so this is the part of the film that kind of, I don't want to say loses me, but it is completely unnecessary for me. And it is, all of a sudden, for some odd reason, you cut to a group of punks who are in a car outside of the theater. And they are, like, apparently they just stole a car and they are, like, doing cocaine and, like, I don't know how you felt about the feel about these characters. I think it's edited. It's it's unnecessary, and not only is it unnecessary, it's, it cuts like it shifts tone multiple times because of them. Because you're given like too much of it. Like in the middle of all of this uh, going awry in the movie theater, all of these issues, and you know, shutting down the movie, and you you're building up to to these big moments where the demons are trapping them within the upstairs and everything. Um, you then you'll cut over to the punks and all they're doing is driving and doing coke and the, the one character character is it Tina? Of course it would be Tina. She's doing cocaine. Some the one blonde, she's so obnoxious, and whoever dubbed her voice has been chain smoking for 20 years because they sound they sound like uh, like a man. It sounds like a, the voice of a man coming out of this petite blonde woman with a very bad mohawk, and it's just very awkward. Yeah, she's. I, I I don't want to be mean. Well, we've already okay. I'm gonna say I don't want to be mean, but we've already called this character whore number two. We've given her that name, so I will be mean. This is the most unfortunate looking girl I've ever seen in my life. Oh my god! Well, and that, that mohawk is doing nothing at all. No favors. It's doing no favors for her. She's she's just rough around the edges, and it's a hard visual. And then they also give us like a boob shot where she spills cocaine on her tit and. The guy takes the yes. the razor blade and he like up on her nipple. <laughs> he looks like the lead singer from Flock of Seagulls. Um, okay. yeah. But like she, her, she literally looks her, her whole, I don't know. She looks like she's like a 12 year old girl. She does. Trying she to, looks like a child. Trying to play like this badass punk. And then, yeah, and she's obnoxious. She's, uh, and then. There's a scene, yeah, the scene where he cuts her tit with the razor blade. And I'm like, why? Because it just, you have this, this whole movie up until this point is very high octane. It's going, you get the hard, yeah. even with the soundtrack, it's going high octane. And you cut to these people that I could give a fuck less about. Absolutely. Because none of them are even established at all. And they, they serve absolutely zero purpose. They end up having no purpose to this film at all it's not like these people show up to save the day like literally they get to the theater and they're like killed right away so there's no reason for them to be in this film at all the only reason that kind of i feel is uh, approached is the the fact that they find a way in um to come up with in dialogue between the characters but like overall it's not explored enough to have purpose and Beyond anything, it's just the, the 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 tone of their dialogue and the tone and the music choices they use is just 
it feels like it's in a completely different movie and it completely breaks up the overall like vibe that you have going with the rest of the film um and these characters are not like they don't stand out you don't remember them all that you know is they're doing cocaine they've stolen a car it does bring them into the building eventually with that whole situation with the police um but that's about it but that serves absolutely zero purpose at all um and it's not like it's not like we didn't have enough characters within the theater to focus on why bring in just these random, it just doesn't make any sense. It's the one, the, the one thing about this movie that I, I would say is, is a huge misstep was this having these random punk characters that just show up for no reason. Um, but anyway, so within being intercut between these obnoxious punk characters inside the theater, we get um, Vernon like shows up and he can, he's not dead yet. How, how, how is he not dead? Just from the shock alone of having your eyes gouge out of your head. I mean, I don't understand. I can't imagine anybody making it through that. But somehow, some way, not only is he alive, he seems very composed. Yes, because he's now he's saying, it's not the movie. It's the theater. It's the theater. You must kill the theater. The whole place is cursed. <laughs> he's, he's like giving them, not only that, he's like telling them about like the, the situation at hand. He's like, he's very much okay. And he should be in way more pain than he is. Um, but uh, the, he, um, Tony sees Liz dead on the ground and he again, makes the, the smart choice of saying we should dump this body over the edge before it turns into a demon. And Vernon is not being helpful. He's pleading with them not to throw Liz over the edge. He's grabbing onto her legs. He's crawling after them. Uh, nobody seems to t- worry about this man and the fact that he's bleeding from the eyes. Yeah. It's it's insane. And the whole thing is like he's he his eyes were gouged out by a demon, so he should be turning into a demon himself too, right? Because that's, that's yeah. the whole thing. If you get scratched, bit, whatever by a de- by one of these demons, you're going to turn into one. But nobody seems to like equate that. Or Vernon is going to turn into a demon at some point. They're just well, and he seems fine. He just he doesn't seem like he's like under any spell. He's fine. I need don't throw her over the balcony, please. Don't throw her over the balcony. Oh, Liz, Liz. That's like it's just very dramatic. Um, but they do. They throw her over the balcony. Yes. Well, then, the, then the old man, the old man demon comes and tries to comes up over the balcony and gets tries to get Tony, and Tony like stabs him multiple times with his pocket knife, and like he falls, and he just happens to hand, he just happens to fall on Liz, who is still crawling on the floor. Twenty minutes later, <laughs> and, oh, um, the girlfriend number two. What's her name? Oh, Hannah. Hannah. Yes, incompetent. I'm Hannah. Sorry, I said Liz. Yeah, she's who's still just crawling around on the floor. The old man falls on Hannah and just starts pu- like puking blood all over. And her. she just lays there screaming. <laughs> she's just bathing in it. It's it's pretty disgusting. It is. It is. She's. She, but I mean, poor Hannah spends ninety percent of the film on the floor, just crawling yes. around. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um. So then they decide they're going to rip out all the seats to make a barricade, and um, which is a smart move. But then this. Was really sh- I, I don't know if you want to consider it shocking, but this is the point where Tony is actually attacked and bitten by a demon. 
and pulled over the balcony. And like, there's this really dramatic scene of him hanging on a rope with the two demons, just like clawing him and biting him. And it's really cool. It's like, you know, the Italians love scenes with people hanging from balconies on ropes because we had this with stage fright. Remember? Yes. We had this with Suspiria. I mean, (laughs) yes, there's many a hanging, which Going back to our episode about stage fright, M- Michael Suave, who directed that, was actually the assistant director of this film. Well, um, I can see that for sure. So you get a lot, you get this dramatic scene with them hanging, like Tony hanging over the edge, and then um, George like cuts the rope and lets him fall to his death. Which is again, it's kind of shocking because Tony has been the character that has been like in charge this entire time, and all of a sudden, just like that, he's dead. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was, I will say that it was pretty shocking, especially because they're kind of in the middle of like making a plan and having everything go a certain way. Um, And there's a really great effect here where a demon like bites him and you're like, oh God, you know, he's going to turn now. And then the bite, like it cuts back to like the demon, like taking like a massive chunk of meat out of his leg. And you're like, oh fuck, he's definitely dead. (laughs) Yeah, it it is is pretty startling uh, how they do it. Um. Uh, and so uh, Hannah gets covered in gore and takes off running. She does reconnect with her boyfriend, uh, whom he makes a comment. Um, You're all bloody. Are you okay? And she's like, oh, no, I'm fine. Because obviously, you know, the demon just puked on her, but she didn't get scratched or anything, as far as we know. And then she says, oh, you're bloody too. He's like, oh, it's just a scratch. And you're like, oh shit. Okay. These two kids obviously have no idea what is really going on. So it's just a matter of time. Yeah. Tommy, Tommy is his name. Tommy of course Hannah. it is. It's always Tommy. <laughs> but the, yeah, can we mention, because this is where it cuts back to the stupid ass punks, but the soundtrack of this film is pretty damn impressive. Oh, it's great. I mean, they got, cause they got um, Billy Idol, Motley Crue. I mean, Rick Springfield. I mean, I don't know how much they paid for this, this the, the soundtrack to this film, but it had to be almost more than the budget of the actual movie itself because you get the white wedding. It's a nice day for white wedding. <laughs> I mean, you get all kinds. I mean, the soundtrack for this film is amazing. Yeah, it is. It is. I think that might have been one of the things they really tried to do to like lure American audiences with having parts of it dubbed is by incorporating a lot of American music because there is a lot of well-known music in this film and it clearly does have a pretty large budget. I mean, the theater it's set in in general is very effective. I mean, it's quite a a large space filled with very beautiful rooms, you know? So, um, uh, but yeah, so, um, and they, this is around the point where the punks are now arriving at the theater uh, or near the theater. And the punks pull over and they spill a bunch of the cocaine that is in a Coke can. They literally have a Coke can filled with Coke. Um, and they spill it while they're fighting because they keep all using it. And the, um, the lead punk of, of the, one of the three men demands that they scrape up every single bit of it. So they all take out their razors. They're scraping up the Coke the nipple scene happens for some reason because she's not someone who I would expect to have a topless scene, but apparently she said tits out for the boys and they filmed it. And uh, it's so uncomfortable because she's like biting on her lips. She's like, Oh, that razor blade on my nipple. And then he scrapes her with it and she flips her shit. Um, But eventually the cops pull up beside them 
and the, the kids get out and they take off and they are running around the building and they, one of the doors like mysteriously opens. Yeah. And they get in and the cops follow them and it's just so unnecessary because like they're literally killed right away. Yeah. Like, I mean, there was absolutely no purpose for them to be in this film. And then you get stupid Nina who like, she's just so off putting looking. Um, I don't, she stops for some reason in front of a mirror and starts to put on lipstick and yeah, it's Nina, not Tina. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's so like, I literally think at, at this point in the film, one of the detriments is it starts to become like a series of like, I think they had a series of, of really graphic kills they wanted to show, but they were like, okay, how can we tie these big kills together? I definitely want to do like this, you know, this lipstick sequence. We want this. So uh, we'll have the Nina come in here and we'll have her just get killed in here. You know, it doesn't really make any sense. Like they're on the run from cops and she like just starts putting on lipstick. Like it, it, it doesn't factor together for me a lot very well which plays back into what you said these characters really are not necessary you could have just focused on the characters already within the theater and have been fine but i mean i guess they just wanted a higher body count because they are obviously trying to make a movie about gore and slime and pus and so they wanted as many people to die as possible you know but um that chick in the blue comes back into play shoulder pads and uh she does kill nina yeah she does she yeah as nina's seductively putting on a lipstick in the, in the mirror for some reason. And just in the middle of this pandemonium, she decides she's going to stop and put lipstick on. Yeah. She's attacked by blue shoulder pad demon and killed. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I I don't know why, why she was even there. Yeah. And well, honestly, like, and and playing off what I, what I said, I, I do feel like at this point, it really, the movie, aside from, the through story that happens with George and Cheryl, everything else at this point is predominantly just kill count. It's just a bunch of different like set pieces that are yeah, yeah. kill count. Yeah. Because the other characters, like they've basically, they, while they're trying to escape, they find another room on the side of like, they, they, plot, they bang through the wall <laughs> with, uh, fire extinguishers are able to get through this wall and find this whole other room um, on the other side of, of the theater, which like is such a bad idea to begin with because obviously the demons are going to hear this noise and it does, it draws them and they end up sort of breaking in to the upstairs balcony that they barricaded themselves into. Yes. Well, you get the really effective, icon- kind of iconic scene because it's kind of on the front of the uh, one of the the, the box art is like all the demons like coming out of the entryway. Oh, so their eyes are glow- their eyes are glowing. And Tony now he is a, he's like the lead demon. He's out in front, um, and it's just a beautifully shot scene with the colors, the shadows, the uh, their eyes glowing. They're just like coming out of the entryway. Yeah, that shot specifically is what always drew me to wanting to see this film because it has on a lot of the box art, and that shot is what what completely inspired the initial idea for making the zombies eyes glow in my film rebirth. It was because of how effective that looks like it. And I think they use like, they use like reflective paper or something like something where they reflected light off of their eyes. I'm trying to remember, I, cause I looked it up a while ago when I was first trying to think of how to do the eyes for my movie, but like, it's just, it's, it's a practical effect. And I think it's using reflective paper and it's so fucking effective i love it i love it i think that's 
one of the most striking aesthetic choices from the film. Yeah, it is. It is. And in the meantime, Hannah and Tommy, who are, are once, once they get together, when she's not crawling on the floor, they are actually pretty smart yeah. because they, he's like, let's, there's an air vent. Let's like, we can get in that and try to escape. And this is a really effective scene, I think, because as they're crawling through the air vent, you are hearing like fingernails scratching and he, they're like, they don't know where it's coming from. And he's like, it's coming from behind you, you know, to Hannah. And you see like this shot of like this demon hand. Yeah. Like, and Tommy's freaking out. And he's like, oh my God, it's behind you. And they, they get to this point in the event where you can go either way. And he's like, you get in front, you go in front because it's, so she gets in front of all of a sudden, all of a sudden you hear the claws noise coming. Now it's coming in front of him. What it is, is it's, all of a sudden, Hannah turns around and she's the demon. She, it's her. She's she was transforming into a demon, and she like. Rah! It's such a good scene. It's it's and, and honestly, like I think it's another example of like those two characters for the most part are pretty disposable. But I think like the whole point of having them was to have this really effect effective sequence. But it is one of the payoff sequences uh, in the movie. Yeah. And, yeah, and you obviously know that, like, when that demon, like, puked all over her, it probably, like, got in her mouth and everything, and that's just one more way that people can turn into demons, you know? Um, but now they're dead as well. <laughs> they're dead. They're, yeah. Uh, and then you get, yeah, you get this the scene now when everyone pretty much is killed off up in the balcony because the demons come through, and they everyone is killed. Like, there's, like, fingers being bitten off, people's throats being ripped open like it's just a bloodshed like everyone in the theaters killed except you know the four now the four main characters george cheryl kathy and guy number two yeah (laughs) ken Ken. his name is ken oh good okay thank god thank god i knew you'd be on it (laughs) when it comes to names troy's the guy yes because i just i remember because he's like he gets scratched and um they're like no not ken yeah th- so they ken gets scratched and he is uh, i don't know because now kathy's turns into a demon yeah i mean at this point it's one of those things like and how did did she she must have got i don't see I never, well no what i was about to say like with the attack on the balcony because they find, you know, they find that whole empty brick room and everything. And, and that's the scene where Cheryl's like, we can't get out. And all the girls are like, yeah. The guys are like shaking the women and everything. Um, but like, uh, it leads up to the whole massive attack sequence. And I think basically what you play into at this point is either people, you, you know, they've been, they've been scratched or they've been scratched. And then you just don't realize it until they turn. Because there's a few people who have some like, demon reveals at this point towards the end of the movie where it's like you know what i mean um in the midst of all that chaos because there that you do see so much happening up into the point where george gets them all to crawl out through that hole um between the chairs you know so i do think we're basically assuming that um if you didn't see it it still happened you know yeah yeah well because she all of a sudden she's like on the floor and she kathy and she's like turns around she's like who am i and they're like, what's the matter with you, Kathy? And like, she all, she's like really like dramatic. And all of a sudden she turns back around and now she's a demon. And Ken immediately like starts bashing her head in with the screen, with the screen. 
And yeah, and then you get this yeah. really cool scene where this de- this new demon like cr- comes out of her body like just and it's this where did it come from? It's the really it's a really creepy looking yeah, demon too. I yeah, mean. it's definitely like one of like the the pinnacle effects. I will say like the whole movie up to this point does a really good job of building up to this like massive climax. You know what I mean? Um, it builds and it builds and it builds. And you, when you come to this whole final thing where there's just demons like everywhere, um, it does feel very, uh, like a grand finale. Um, and so, and, and, and some of these massive effects that they did save for towards the end of the movie really do pay off. Um, and even like they do a good job. One thing I appreciate is they like come back into, uh, come back to acknowledge certain things within the film, like the motorcycle you know, and everything like they, they have these things that like they introduce them and they're not, they're kind of random, but at least they kind of play it into the whole vibe of this location, but they do serve major purpose in the film, you know? Um, so even though it's kind of a thin concept, when you think of it, like people got tickets to go see a movie, the movie releases demons into the theater, people who are bitten or scratched turn into demons. Like um, it's at least well thought out, you know? Yeah, and it's it's actually the new demon that crawls out of Kathy that scratches Ken, right? And he now he's freaking out, and they don't George. I, I'm wondering. I was also wondering this because George at the at this point in the film, like the relationship between George and Ken seems really strong. Um, you know what I mean? Like I was getting some vibes either that they were yeah. gay lovers <laughs> or they're brothers because. George is like, re- like j- this whole scene between them is like really just like over the top j- emotional. Like George is like freaking out because Ken is turning into a demon and like now Ken wants George to kill him. Um, and like, yeah, George character is literally like almost bawling. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I understand it's your friend, but like, were, I wonder, were they supposed to be brother? I don't know because I mean, there, there was, they look so different. Like Ken is like a, almost got like a like a Latino look to him or something, yeah. whereas George is like all American white boy. I feel like maybe they're just supposed to be like best friends, you know? Like I'm not saying that that I don't think that it's over the top because it definitely is, but um, I, I, I personally, they I think they were they were they were, they were on the down low. They were sucking each other off. There has to be something. Going I mean, it's the '80s. People were doing cocaine and sucking dick everywhere. Like it only makes sense. So, but yeah, it, it was a, a weird kind of <laughs> chemistry between the two of them for sure. Oh God! At this point, yeah, because George is like literally bawling, and he's like, "I don't want to kill you." And Ken turns around, and he's like, and so, <laughs> like cut his head off and he's like balling. I'm like, okay, yeah, you guys were either fucking or your brother. I don't know because yeah. the dynamic here is like, even what's her name? Cheryl didn't even act all that upset when Kathy got her head bashed in with the goddamn screen. Um, right. Right. And while I'll say like, while it's kind of played off as like a romance between George and um, Cheryl, um, it definitely is not as, George has a similar moment later and his response to that is nowhere near as impassioned as impassioned. Right. Well, because like, let's, let's just, I mean, basically what happens at this point is George steps up to be the, the, the male lead and, and, uh, and he, he kind of rocks it out for the, like the final arc of the film. Well, he gets um, on the motorcycle and like, 
he's now on the motorcycle just driving through the theater and he picks up Cheryl and like he has the sword and it's like literally 10 minutes of him driving through the theater just hacking the shit out of demons. It goes on a little too long. Like this motorcycle, I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm looking at my watch. Okay, it's been 10 minutes. Like, can we get past this? <laughs> and These Italian movies, man. They <laughs> <laughs> yeah and finally finally that he crashes the motorcycle and they're on the floor and this is another part that just loses me because all of a sudden a helicopter just crashes through the roof i think they had budget they wanted to use it but i don't understand how in any way shape or form it plays any factor into the movie because there's nobody driving the helicopter like, did you notice that? It has no pilot. And it's never explored. No, it just crashes through the roof. Where did, <laughs> where did they procure this helicopter? I'm so confused. And how did it... There was no pilot, so how did it... Fly? Okay, whatever. I don't know. It, we're just going to go with it, okay? Because is that, like, discussed? Like, do is that ever come up as a point of issue with this film between our fans? Is it considered problematic for to, to be a story arc, like, in this film? It should be, but I guess people are just highly entertained with this film, so they're going to forgive a lot of these little things that don't make a lot of sense. I do feel this movie is meant to deliver entertainment above all else, and it does do that. I will say, never am I not entertained watching Demons, and never am I not um, impressed by the striking visuals and fantastic effects. But in the sense of plot, does it give me a lot? No. But again, this is really what a lot of these movies were. You know, a lot of these films were at times confusing and vague in their details and their character development. And just striking to the eyes and the ears. Yes, because George all of a sudden knows how to fly a helicopter. I mean, <laughs> because he starts the helicopter and like the blades are spinning around and like you get cool scenes. It's like very Dawn of, Dawn of the Dead-esque where the helicopter blades yeah. are like slicing the demon's heads off and stuff. And yeah, I'm like, dude, how did you know how to start a helicopter? I would not know how to do that. Um, how do you know how to drive a motorcycle? He doesn't strike me as he doesn't strike me as someone who would know how to do any of these things. But he and then they find this, I guess, what is it? A like a rifle, some sort of rifle that. Yeah, it's it's like a it's like an assault rifle. <laughs> they shoot, he shoots a um, like a what is it? It's it's an anchor on a wire. He shoots it onto the roof, and here they yeah. are, like very. Uh, just dramatic. They're just scaling the wall. Yeah, they're scaling the 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 wall. Like, it's, it, I don't even understand why that's in a helicopter to begin with. Like, is that something? Is this like is this like a spy mission that went awry? Maybe <laughs> it's very confusing. Yeah. So all of a sudden, it turns into them scaling up the roof on this wire, and yeah. they get up there, and all of a sudden, like the guy in the mask that gave them the tickets in the first yeah. Movie, He's all of a sudden up on the roof. So how did he get up there? He, that whole character is problematic to me. Uh, was he, I mean, was he up on the roof this entire time just waiting for someone to come up on the roof? Has this been his game plan from the start? Did he know, like maybe he had, maybe he had like a, 
a vision of what was going to happen. And he just knew that this is how it was meant to be because they, you know, there's been vaguer elements in this film, like the helicopter general. So, I mean, I don't know that guy though. He really like is not explained much at all. Nor is his mask. No, no, but he like pushes George off the roof and like George is hanging on and trying to climb up. And then like Cheryl stabs him with a, an antenna i think it is she pulls the antenna off the roof and jabs him in the back and then there's this like whole scene where like george like pushes his face onto the onto this like spike that's sticking up um, yeah. and then they're able to get off the roof and what you see is like demons all of a sudden for some reason are outside ever like they've gotten out of the theater apparently because there's like cars on fire and like demons are everywhere in the street chasing them yeah well, when when the punks got in, didn't the demon get out? Hey, perhaps. I think, and my goodness, how quickly things went awry. Because, I mean, I guess what we're supposed to assume now is that the the helicopter, this is all caused by, like, the chaos going on outside. Because they end up even getting picked up by a vehicle of survivors. Yeah. And, they and like, they all have, like, rifles and everything. They all have weapons and guns and everything. Um, but like, I mean, this happened quick, but what I'm assuming is, and this is, I guess, maybe more why the punks had purpose is like the punks, when they got out, when they got in a demon got out and started everything outside of the building, which was the goal of this thing, this whole curse to begin with. And so I, um, I'm maybe the guy on the roof is just overseeing. He's like, yes, everything went to plan. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. Yeah. Because yeah, the, there's all, there's cars on fire like chaos everywhere um yeah and so yeah cheryl and george get on back of this jeep that's driven like by these like rednecks like and they don't even seem all that concerned like there's a little kid that's in the passenger seat of the jeep and he's like eating a fucking honey bun the whole time with his rifle he's like oh there's a demon shoots it like they don't even seem all that concerned uh it's a very comedic tone Yeah, 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 yeah. And then there's the big blonde, the blonde-headed girl, and she's like, "Oh, well, welcome aboard." And she's shooting demons, and they're like, "Okay, you guys were waiting for this for a while." Yeah, I feel like it's an Italian kind of like wink at like what they think of American culture. To be honest, like you know what I mean? Guns, guns, and honey buns. Guns and honey buns. (laughs) (laughs) That's the name of our new podcast. (laughs) Next week, tune in for guns and honey buns with Troy and Roger. Oh boy! <laughs> but yeah, so they uh, they the all credit, go away to get. I'm the sorry. Credits, yeah, the credits start to roll, and you're like, "Oh, this is so cute! They made it out alive." But no. And then suddenly, it's revealed that lo and behold, that dumb bitch Cheryl is actually a demon. <laughs> George, yeah, because George turns to look at her, and she turns around, and she's a full fledged demon now. And the little boy like shoots her in the head. And she falls off the Jeep and nobody seems, including George, nobody seems to be bothered by it at all. George just like looks at her and he's like, oh, he shrugs and like. Which only plays into your theory that George and Ken were in fact lovers. I think they were. Which is why this movie is cutting edge and why I feel it was a strong choice for us to review it. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I think George is like, whew, whew, I dodged that. I don't have to show her my dick now. Huh. Yeah. Another beard. Yeah. So my theory, I think, is right. He is 
so glad he doesn't have to give Cheryl his dick. Absolutely. There was far too much sexual chemistry between uh, George and Ken, and uh, that cannot be denied. And at the end of the day, um, I do like to think that he saw a potential beard in Cheryl, but she uh, simply did not live up to expectations. Uh, and so she had to be disposed of. <laughs> they, just, they just leave her body laying on, laying in the middle of the road. Where it belongs. No. <laughs> and Well, and it, 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 it is actually, if you think about it, it is an interesting little twist that they use because, you know, this, is, this was the 80s where the whole final girl, you know, uh, concept was very prevalent. And we don't get a final girl. We get final boy yeah and unexpectedly so like it's actually treated as like kind of a well as you said it's like a, a mid-credits uh like stinger like one final note um and by the way cheryl did make it and it's her story that we follow from the beginning even though she becomes just one of the faces in a crowd after a certain point she is the one that initiates the storyline um and uh yeah it, it's an unexpected twist and um i mean hey at the end of the day uh, what this movie lacks uh, in, in plot and substance, it, it makes up for it in entertainment value and uh, effects and twists and turns galore that I would not expect. And one final twist, I'm not going to complain about it. I do like that they pulled that as like the last note. It's not like she was extremely memorable to begin with. Uh, I would say in the end, he ends up being way more of a badass than we anticipated. So I think he earned his place as a survivor. Yeah, and it's just interesting that you don't hear this film talked about. Because there are, like, I, I see people, like, make posts and stuff about, oh, which films have final boys instead of final girls? And I've never seen this one brought up. But it, you really, yeah, you get a final boy with this film. He's George is an underrated final boy. Come on, let's give George some love. He's cute. He's very cute. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that is demon. Yeah. And overall, at the end of the day, I think that this film is very much um, a product of the times in the sense of cutting edge effects and uh, just you, it's very much a, a, a product of the 80s, like the fashion, the, lo- the even the location and, like you know, the venue they're in, everything about it is very 80s. But I do like that it's an 80s film that tackles the whole like demon outbreak concept because you really don't get that that often um but luckily this one is done very well and i really it's a subgenre of horror that i would consider one of my favorites to be honest i love it's kind of got a, a zombie kind of vibe to it but demons are smarter and they're more aware and i think that makes them that much more of a formidable opponent and i'm surprised that you don't see more of this genre explored even like today like i can't think of a ton of demon outbreak films overall other than like yeah night of the demons and then this but aside from that there's not a ton of them yeah yeah and this was definitely i think this was definitely a big influence on like night of the demons um for sure uh but yeah and it's interesting that argento produced this film because he's generally known for his giallo. Uh, so it was kind of interesting to see him come in and, and produce a, a film that is a demon outbreak film. Yeah. But you can definitely see his his influence on the film with the coloring mm-hmm. and, and all of that. But um, Lavish kills. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a great film. It's, a, it's highly entertaining. You just got to forgive some of the little plot 
elements that don't make a lot of sense. Yeah, and some of the um, acting where the dubbing is just uh, less than great. But again, as we said, that is very much of the times. Um, but yeah, overall, it's just um, a fun flick to uh, really appreciate what they were able to do during that era with special effects and their makeup effects are just phenomenal. Like that really is what takes the cake with this movie. And I think what makes it as great as it is, is the portrayal of the demons. They're scary. They're fast. They are gory and slimy and gross and disgusting. And um, it's, yeah, it's just, um, the visuals of the demons are really well executed and it did eventually lead to a sequel demons Two, which I'm sure we will chat about sometime, which takes a, a very unique approach with the concept. Um, but which is a fun movie in its own right. But this one really is, I think probably one of my, I mean, it's my favorite demon movie. I guess it's tied with night of demons. I can't deny my love for night of the demons, but um, it's just a very impressive film. They did some really amazing things with this one. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Demons 2. I was going to bring that up because it, Demons 2 has a lot of um, kind of the same elements as the first one, but it goes a completely different direction. But you still you get the actor that plays Tony, comes back for, for to play a character in Demons 2. Um, and instead of a movie theater, you get a high-rise apartment complex. So it's still kind of a very uh, interesting uh, location. Yeah. But it's not as – I don't think it's as fun as the this first one, but it's – it's still a good, you know, it's yeah. still a good one. I mean, I feel like they almost, the way they did it, they they purposely uh, structured it to have some of the same tropes over again. Like the way it happens, like they actually acknowledge, the, correct me if I'm wrong, but don't they acknowledge the first film? It's like as being a film, kind of like what Gremlins did. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's a weird approach to it, but it works, but not like 100%, but it works enough um but yeah no the the first demons is really like a standout piece of italian horror uh really deserves more love and attention um in the sense of being a more iconic and unique film it's not like all of the movies of the era um and yeah. the effects are just mind-blowing so if you have not seen demons i'm disappointed in you and troy is too and we are going to come for you in your sleep yeah, <laughs> in a good way and a bad way. <laughs> yeah, right? But yeah, so that was demon. That was a fun. That was a fun chat. Yes. Um. So yeah. So there you go. You you had some great picks. You had Final Girls and Demons, which could not be completely two different movies, but um, but they did have that tie-in that it the movie theater tie-in. Yes, it is a problematic movie screenings. That was my theme, and uh, yeah. it and for three movies because, as I said, with the blob as well, and I didn't even realize that until I was trying to say I have a theme as well because I didn't have a theme at first. And I realized, wow, this very obscure and random uh, concept will be my theme. So that was my theme: uh, random attacks in movie theaters. And I'll think of something creative for my next one as well. <laughs> Yeah, so let's talk about our next film. Um, okay, so I'm going to go really obscure here. And I am doing this on purpose because it is a film that I think does not get talked about a lot at all. Uh, it's very obscure. It's from the 80s. But there is so much to discuss about this film that uh, 
Yeah, and I think it's going to be highly entertaining. I cannot wait to see your reaction to this film. And it's a little 80s slasher gem, if you want to call it that, uh, called Evil Laugh. <laughs> Have you seen it? I'm not. I had not even heard of it so, until you mentioned it. So it is going to be fun. It's directed by Dominic Brescia, who played Joey in Friday the 13th Part 5, who gets the axe for trying to give Vic the chocolate bar. Um, I mean, the, what a random bit of horror history knowledge you would have in your brain. Of course you know that. Um. <laughs> oh, but no, that's not even the, that's not even the beginning of this film. This film has um, a future hardcore porn star in it. It has a Hollywood madam in it. It has Scott Bale's brother in it. Um, what more could I ask for? What more could you ask for, right? I cannot wait to see your reaction. And there's a heavy gay undertone to this film. Um, you are going to love it. Love it. I've loved all of well, almost all of them. Don't I? I've loved and or appreciated all of them in one way or another. Um, but this one really seems to be titillating. You seem very excited about it. I am because I've I want to chat with this I want to chat about this film with somebody and it's one that hardly nobody see nobody knows about and it's yeah we we got to chat we got to chat we got to chat wait till you watch it. after next week um, I will know about it and soon yeah. all of our listeners will fucking know about it so you all hear that look for evil laugh cue the laugh evil <laughs> we are going we are going to discuss evil laugh and all its glory yeah make sure you watch it. Make sure you're ready to go, everybody, because we're going to be talking about it. And we are not holding back when it comes to spoilers. No, ma'am. We're all grown men and or women in here. And we can handle some spoilers. So if you're not ready for it, that's on you. Yep. So I cannot wait. So, yeah. So check it out. With that being said, everybody. We will see you next week because I think we can now actually say next week because we've been officially a weekly podcast for a minute now. We did it. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Awesome. I'm proud of you. So unless something goes horribly wrong, we'll be here next week with evil laugh, which we will all have seen. And until then, make sure you go give us a five-star rating on Apple podcasts. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks. And we will chat next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>